0: Also remember, when you buy Ochenta's audiobooks, you're directly supporting our independent audio series productions. So find Atlas Lingue, the layers of language behind everyday life, on Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobooks app. A few years ago, I remember I was at a family dinner and my mom asked me if I could help her open a jar of pickles because she was having trouble with it. Then immediately, my aunt, who overheard this exchange, said uh oh, you better open it because your masculinity is at stake. I'm pretty sure she didn't have any ill intentions when she said this. A lot of us grow up under specific gender roles, hearing phrases like this and eventually repeating them. But at that moment, I felt like that meme with the math formulas in front of my face, and I started wondering, wait a minute. So if I can't open it, does it mean I'm not a man? What does it even mean to be a man? Welcome to Atlas Lingue. In this season, we're going to explore the subtle, and sometimes not so subtle, ways in which we communicate the broad subjects that define our everyday lives. I'm your host, Luis Lopez, and this is the first episode in a three-part suite about the language of gender. In the next couple of episodes, we'll be exploring the language of femininity and of non-binary identities, respectively. But for this one, we're gonna dive into a language that many of us think is pretty clear cut, but is actually incredibly complex. Masculinity.
2: I would probably try to summarize it in terms of the behaviors, attributes, attitudes, all of which are cultural and historical that we tend traditionally to have attached to men and boys in terms of expectations, understandings of how they might behave, how they are to interact with each other and how their relations should be um, undertaken.
1: Masculinity more than anything is a notion that we've only somewhat recently come to really focus on.
3: From the first day they know that a boy is going to be born. No, they already. There's already expectations for that little boy. The boy hasn't even been born. And yeah, yeah I expect that there's already expectations. Oh, my boy's going to be a soccer player.
0: This three-part suite around gender will have more of a roundtable approach. And it's important to remember that this in no way seeks to be the final word on these topics. We won't cover every facet of masculinity, of course. But we do want to focus more specifically on the ways that the language of masculinity affects men in general. So to start us off, we asked our guests to define masculinity.
2: You would get a different definition of masculinity by asking
0: different people, and everybody might have a different way of approaching that question. This is Robert Payne, professor at the Department of Communication, Media, and Culture at the American University of Paris, and researcher of gender and sexuality. After realizing that our previous question didn't have a clear, unequivocal answer, we decided to revert to what we know best. Geeking out about words we like. So why not move to something pretty basic, like the words that men use to refer to each other? You know, we've got words like bro, dude, and simply man, of course. Way in Mexican Spanish, cara in Brazilian Portuguese. And there's tons of other examples. And there's a particular example from the uk and australia that a lot of us have surely heard before mate
2: so in australia there's this whole idea of mateship anyone theoretically can be anyone else's mate and that really i think applies at all different levels of the society whether it's people in the street or people in positions of high power that this kind of claim to equality or a classlessness is also framed, I think, as as, as one of masculinity. So it presumes that masculine subjects are the ideal versions of mates, are the ideal versions of of people who share this, this claim to equality.
0: This reminds me of a lot of phrases that we use that present men as socially equal to each other, simply because they're men. For example, when we talk about a gentleman's word. Or when we want to have a man-to-man conversation.
3: For example, at my point of view, words hurt more than physical punches or whatever.
0: That's Benjamín Pérez, the creator behind the popular TikTok and Instagram platform Pérez the Advisor. What I like about Benjamín's content is that he doesn't only talk about masculinity, but it always informs his content as a first-generation Mexican-American man.
3: So, uh, unfortunately, when we are with, with the men, no? uh, how we treat each other and how we talk, when I think about like the Latinos or just men in general, like how we're always like, making fun of each other, how we like to say in Mexico, la carrilla.
0: La carrilla basically refers to when a group of friends, often boys and young men, tease and poke fun at each other. It's generally meant to be playful, and you're expected to receive it just as much as you give it. But this behavior can often lead to bullying, or harsher comments, precisely because if something does hurt, you might be perceived as weak for pointing it out. And in many cultures, doing this can make other men accuse you of being effeminate. This can actually be done quite easily in gendered languages, like Spanish and Italian, where just switching a letter makes the word feminine.
3: Make it a feminine word? It's even worse than if you call you, you know, the masculine version of it. So like you said, estupida, estupido. There's words that we use that hurt other communities. And why are we using it? doesn't matter because it's a culture thing, blah, blah. No, but it's the same thing if we say, it's because men are always been like that. Asi son los hombres, that's how men are. No, men shouldn't be that way. So when it comes to language, oh yeah, there's a lot of uh, things. Like you can be at a family dinner and the comments, you know, the family jokes, like the family jokes of like how you're dressed or your hair and this and that, like people make fun of each other instead of, but it's just, I could make fun of someone. We're just playing around, but I don't know how that person's receiving it. Maybe they're smiling to me right now, but maybe deep dumb, maybe that's an insecurity. Let's just be more intentional. So yeah, language is, is something that continues to be something that we definitely need to work on.
0: What Benjamin said made me think of another phrase we can add to our list boys will be boys. This kind of behavior, however, is a great example of how men communicate when other forms of communication are discouraged. Because, let's be real, men in general have a hard time expressing emotions. I know I do. Back to Robert. I mean, I think it's I think it's really clear that certainly in particular cultural contexts that
2: men and boys are taught informally or formally to be different from girls in terms of emotional expression and in terms of emotional composition, it seems there are far too many, you know, young men and boys who have not been given opportunities to find emotional outlets that might have prevented them from going to such extreme steps.
1: Sure. Um, I mean, masculinity can be so many things. It's, It's kind of like the more I think of it, the more abstract it is, because it can mean anything from literally the way one <laughs> composes oneself to and, and that being directed to like men. But it's also something that can be integral to women. Uh, so originally, I came up with the idea for the club in 2018, I
0: believe. This is Maximiliano Steamerling, and he also goes by Max. He's a psychology major at the American University of Paris, with a particular focus on gender studies.
1: And I noticed that at the university, there weren't many sort of guys, and at least it wasn't approachable. I didn't find many opportunities to make male friends.
0: Max felt that more people needed to dive into the very thing that Robert was just talking about. This led him to start a university club called Open Mended, a space dedicated to discussing masculinity and mental health.
1: And I started noticing, like, okay, you know, it would be cool to have a space for male students to just come together and and talk and just talk about, reflect on what it's like being male. So I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a go. I created it. And the way I framed it was, yeah, just a space for guys to talk about their experiences and relate to each other and just be open and not feel like they have to put on an act or put on a show. Um, So the topic for today is uh body image and self-esteem and so yeah every week i'd come up with a different topic We've talked about things like from depression to anxiety to body image to diet to exercise and so each session what i wanted was for anyone and everyone who came to feel like not only did they have the chance to speak to listen to but to fundamentally to listen I guess, yeah, you can hear someone, but to really listen, to really connect with their experience or to say, oh, actually, hey, I've been through that. Or that sounds like it was really hard. I'm sorry to hear that. Or just find little ways to communicate with each other that doesn't have to be like, oh, dude, that's lame or that sucks or like, you know, very, (laughs) I guess, basic uh, language. So I wanted to sort of deepen people's, um, the, the quality of people's interactions.
0: And actually, there's a pretty cool thing that this group came up with. And it's the trauma bucket, where we have a bucket that we put in the
1: middle, and got little post-it notes. and as we go along the session, if at any point someone uh, feels, oh, that what I just said was actually a little traumatic, or that actually was harder to get out than I thought, or, or someone saying something that you relate to that you feel was traumatic, write down a little post-it and you toss it into the basket. Let me tell you, when I said, yeah, I don't think I can remember if any times that my father said, "I'm sorry." Every single person <laughs> wrote something down, which is yeah, a common thing. Every time, every time parents come up at some point, Freud is rolling in his grave. But in isolation, right? You can have those thoughts and they can sit with you. But you if you don't have anywhere to put them, whether it be music or an exercise or whatever people do to I guess get rid of or deal with what's going on inside in their head and you know, whatever. If people don't have those outlets, that kind of stuff just sticks with
0: you. So a key issue with men's communication is that men don't really talk to each other enough about their emotions, which in turn makes them more likely to feel like they're alone in these emotions, that something's wrong, and that they're not being man enough. And this lack of communication can and does happen between friends and colleagues, but also generationally. Here's coming again.
3: But I will say that the difficult one was even the relationship with my father, I wish I would have had that that experience with, uh, like other other men may have with their father, that they that he's your best friend, like you have uh, this great beautiful relationship. I never really had that. Not growing up, I um, he he had his struggles, he had his his own traumas, he had his own cycles to break, and he didn't have the tools or um, the opportunity to do some of that work. Uh, but I had the privilege to go to college. I had the privilege to move away. I had the privilege to learn and be exposed to the work, to to the people who are doing this work, to different perspectives. And it's not easy. You know, I'm in my 30s and I'm still doing that work.
0: While Max founded a university club for men to share their experiences, Benjamín's approach was a little different. As a teacher who suddenly found himself separated from his students because of the pandemic, he took to social media to create content aimed at them. And one of the issues he often brings up is masculinity.
3: I see a lot of people doing Instagram Lives. I'll see a lot of people using the Instagram to provide resources. So I'm like, all right, cool. Let me let me be intentional with my page. So I started uh, really creating my page. But six months later, you know, I got like 200 more followers. And then I started realizing like, wow, people are sending me DMs that they feel seen, that they feel connected to what I'm posting.
0: Many of Benjamin's publications are short often funny videos that depict everyday aspects of his life, like interacting with his Mexican family as a Mexican-American, code-switching between Spanish and English, and inheriting certain traits of machismo. However, something curious about his profile is that, even though his content seeks to appeal to men, most of the people who comment on it aren't men.
3: So people who comment on, for the most part that I can think of at, right now, on the masculinity stuff, uh, content, are women. You know? they're, they're talking about how they're wanting to, uh, exactly, this is what I want to do for my husband, or this is what I would want for my son. So they're saying that they're also doing these things to try to help their men or boys in their lives to make those changes. And I'm like, wow, this is great. You know, This is awesome.
0: So men don't often comment, but apparently they do reach out. It's just that instead of doing so publicly...
3: In my life, right, whenever I've been leading with a student organization or with my friends, males, hombres, they also never really ask for my support or show vulnerability in front of everybody. Always that would come to me individually, whether they send me a text message, a DM on Instagram or whatnot, telling me, hey, like, I need your advice but don't tell nobody <laughs> you know don't let nobody know that i'm going through this it's either life advice relationship advice whatever that may be you no know? one time i was in southern california and um i was approached by someone telling me that they follow me on social media i was like oh it's the first time right? i was like ah que raro no <laughs> It was a Latina, so she was, like, super excited. Yeah, like, I follow your content, this and this and that, right? And then she was with her partner, and then she asked him, "But I could see, we, we we see his things. And the guy was like, nah. And I'm like, 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 no, I don't see your stuff. like. And then, yeah, she was like, yeah, you do. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So even he didn't want to, like, <laughs> he didn't want to, admit, I guess, that he, he sees my stuff, which is, you know, masculinity, the funny stuff, etc.
0: Now, this is an interesting example of how men even when they do seek help, don't want other people to know about it. This is perhaps because there's still a social stigma around men expressing a need for help. And it can often be viewed as a weakness.
3: And then I would say the the experiences that your are anecdotes or the, the stories is from day one, no? Men don't cry. Los niños no lloran. Los hombres no lloran. So... Yeah, right there, we're being conditioned, or I was being conditioned to, to not show emotion, to not, because showing emotion meant weakness, right? Um, also, picking up my favorite color. If you look at my Instagram, you, use, you see that I use purple and pink a lot with the color black. And there's a re- again, there's a reason behind that. porque Because growing up, that was my favorite color, purple. When they would tell me that purple was not a manly color, that boys, that's a girl color. So I, I had to pick blue or whatever. I picked black, the color black. So I now as an adult, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna use the purple.
0: And this fear of being perceived as weak and therefore unmasculine can appear in so many instances, from picking your favorite color to crying.
1: I was with some French friends who are all guys, and I was sitting with them one day and they're all talking about football and and how they're, they're watching the last Juventus match and how they lost. And one guy was like, yeah, I cried myself to sleep kind of thing. And then I asked them like, hey, man, so when was the last time you cried? And they all said, oh, watching a movie, watching this, this football game, or when my dog died or things like that. I was like, okay, cool. Now, when was the last time you cried for yourself about something that you've been through, about something that It's not like a shared emotion where you see a football team. It's not like a movie where it's a a fictional recreation that's geared for that. And a lot of surprises were interesting, guys, going like, I don't know, or I can't think of it, or, you know,
0: whatever. That's why it's important to remember that more than masculinity, we should talk about masculinities and recognize that there are just as many ways to be masculine as there are men. That boys will be boys, no matter how they behave. So rather than imagining
2: that there is one standard or one norm which is universal and therefore applies to everybody everywhere at all times, we're instead recognising the very complex sense of differences that different cultures, of course, enact for themselves. And therefore, we are proliferating the kinds of standards, the kinds of norms, the kinds of behaviors, the kinds of attitudes that can be named as masculine. So that's one way to think about this multiplicity or this plurality. The other is to think about how masculinities exist in a relationship to each other. That is to say, even within a particular cultural context.
0: Ultimately, it's up to each and every one of us to decide how to express and present our gender. We all grow up with certain ideals and standards of masculinity, and willingly or not, we're constantly measured against those standards. But the more we're aware of them, the easier it can be to distance ourselves from them, and to define our masculinity in whatever way suits us best. So, if we go back to the dinner party at the beginning of the episode, where I was asked to open the jar, It's worth remembering that it's just as masculine to find an easier way to do it. Maybe with some sort of tool. Or, of course, asking someone else for help. This was the first episode in a three-part suite about gender. Make sure to tune in two weeks from now for our next episode on femininity. Thank you for listening to Atlas Lingue. If you're new to the series, we invite you to listen to our previous episodes, where we dive deep into translation and communication. I'm Luis Lopez, and it has been a pleasure to accompany you on this journey. Special thanks to Robert Payne, Maximiliano Steamerling, and Benjamín Pérez, whom you can follow on Instagram and TikTok at Perez the Advisor. And of course, a very special thanks to OpenMended for allowing us to hang out with them and record a bit of their meeting. Atlas Lingue is an original production by Studio Ochenta. Our executive producer is Laurie Martinez. Sound design and production by Chiara Santella and me, Luis Lopez. With additional production assistance by Linnea Wingerup. Our production coordinator is Catalina Hoyos. For more information on Atlas Lingue, a Studio Ochenta original series and podcast, go to ochentastudio.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Our podcast is available on CastBox, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time. Hi, it's Luis here, and I want to tell you about a show we've been listening to called The Pulso Podcast. There are a lot of podcasts that cover Latino culture and news. But this is one of the first we've heard that really utilizes the through-line of history to provide more context and nuance to our stories. From the halls of Congress to the stages of Broadway, even the food we consider to be American, Latinos helped build this country. And we're not going anywhere. Yet most podcasts are still lacking Latino representation behind and in front of the mic. The Pulso Podcast is a Latina-hosted, latina produced show that explores untold stories and unheard voices shaping the experiences of nuestra gente. They've covered topics from beauty standards and gender equality to mental health and food origins. And did you know that there is an official Spanish version of the Star-Spangled Banner? Or that a team of Mexican lawyers changed the future of segregation laws in the 50s? To hear more, Check out the Pulso podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.